Thank you, Dr. Steve. Um, where's, where's Pastor Reggie? Thanks for sharing that. Um, that, that was powerful. And, um, you know, it's really stuff like that that kind of gets to me uh, when I realize that when we don't see ourselves as just our little church, but we're the bigger church of Jesus Christ. So, um, so I was just sitting there, and as he was sharing about Thrive, I, I just realized, if you want to be alive, you better join Thrive. So that's going to be my uh, <laughs> motto, uh, motto to, as I share with other people about Thrive Network. And uh, those of you who are part of this church, uh, you really don't know how blessed you are to have pastors uh, who love you, who love Jesus Christ, and passionate about the Word, and seeing the church and people develop, because church is not a building. Uh, it really is about people, and to see people being built up. And uh, even though I, I've known Pastor, Pastor Dave and Dr. Steve for such a long time, over 30-some years, uh, that's really something very special. Just some of the other staff members I was able to talk with and to meet, and uh, just to see all of them just loving the church of Jesus Christ and loving you, uh, you're blessed. So let's give them a hand. Can we just do that uh, this morning? Amen. Amen. Yeah, praise God. Amen. Uh, I, I really, uh, I really want to encourage us as we uh, close out this whole uh, refocus gathering, our conference that we had, is that really this is just the beginning. It's not an end of all things, but really it's more of a beginning stage of what I believe God wants to do in all of our lives. Uh, I like to look at it more as something that's catalytic, that will help us to continue to walk faithfully and obediently with Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Joshua chapter 24. We're going to look at two verses this morning. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to really speak to us through these verses. You know, once you've been a Christian for a long time, you realize there's no really new verse or passage. In fact, it's just as you go through life, different passages mean different things to you along the way. I remember before I became a father, I would read all these passages about God being the father. And I, I knew it cognitively in my head, but the problem was that I really didn't know it in terms of experience. And so I would read through the Bible one year, and I'd be like, oh, that's a great passage. But then once I became a father, and every single reference to the father, it really has a whole new meaning. That, that's why the Bible is living and active. Can I get a good amen? That's why it's living and active. You know, when I was a young believer, I thought that once you've read the Bible, that was it. It's like those stories when you were in high school, you read those big epic books, and you're like, I will never read that again. And I thought once you finished the Bible, that was it. But then I realized, we're going to read it again, and again, and again. And I thought it was going to be boring, but I realized we're changing every single day. We're changing from season to season, life stage to life stage. And so when we read the same passage that we read maybe a year ago, because we're changing within that one year, that passage speaks to us in more of a powerful way. You guys understand what I'm trying to say here this morning? And that's why I believe that this is the thing that will transform our lives. It's the Bible. And I pray that as we start this new year that we can get more of the Bible in us. Uh, I have a question. I want to start off by asking you this simple question is, how many of you love trying new things? Can I just go ahead and don't be shy, okay? Those of you who are not raising your hand, you just love comfort and you just like where you are. No, I'm just kidding. You know, in our household, we have a rule. And the rule is very simple, is that you need to try everything at least once, especially when it comes to food. It, it was a big ordeal when they were younger, trying to have them eat certain foods. They didn't want to eat it, so we established a rule. It's called the Kim household rule. And it's simply, you try it once. Because a lot of times the kids will look at the food and that looks so disgusting. Or like, what is that? And we'll tell them, you know the rule. Try it once, and if you don't like it, you will never have to eat it again. That was our rule, and we raised our kids that way ever since they were young. Try it once, and if you don't like it, you don't have to eat it again. And it was amazing because I don't know how, the number of times I've seen my kids, ooh, that's so disgusting, oh my God, what is that, blah, 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 and all of a sudden they taste it, and they go, wow, 
Can we have some more? I don't know about you, but I realize that some of us who don't like to try new things, uh, it's understandable in many ways because, you know, we're, we're comfortable with where we are and what we're doing. But there are times when God challenges us to get a little bit outside of our comfort zone and try things that we have never tried before. I'm going to show you a quick video. And this lady, just so that you, you understand what's going on, she is 78 years old. 78. Her name is Rita, and she has never been on a roller coaster in her life. Can I also get a testimony? How many of you have never been on a roller coaster? Raise your hand. Okay, we've got to pray for some of these guys, you know. Um, how can you, my goodness. But anyway, if you've never been on a roller coaster, you've got to imagine, here's this lady, 78 years old, and she somehow decided, I'm going to try it at least once before I die. So she gets on this roller coaster. It's a really short video. What I want you to see is just her reaction uh, throughout this whole thing. There's going to be some translation on the bottom, so you could just kind of read along. It's just, it, it's just, it's, it's awesome to see a 78 year old woman being on a roller coaster. So let's watch this together. <gasps> oh my goodness! Her, her laughter is so contagious. <laughs> You know, when we try something for the first time, I think it's so awesome to see the mixed reaction. We're a little bit fearful at times, hesitant, but yet as we're experiencing it, especially if it's something good, that we see the joy that comes forth from our hearts because it's a new adventure in our lives. You know, as I'm looking into the future, I'm very excited about all that God has in store for our family and our church. Uh, As you heard from Dr. Steve, we'll be heading out to Hong Kong in July. And all I can say is that I do have these emotions. Being here in the States for so long, um, most of my life, and also just to be in Ann Arbor for about 19 years and started that church, and to be able to now just leave everything and follow Christ as he leads our family and our church there with a team of people. And the more I thought about this, I realized uh, this, this is... There's mixed emotions that I'm going through. But the more I thought about that, I realized that even though it's scary and there's a sense of excitement in in our hearts, that when we think about our own lives here, it's oftentimes when God wants to break us out of what we know and what's so comfortable for us so that we can experience something greater. And that's why I'm really praying that this morning as we close out the whole conference that we can look at it in this way that god wants to give us tremendous hope for the future and there are times when you might not be even certain of what the future will look like but we can trust in god for that and so what i want us to do is to look at several principles in this passage that we're going to be reading and as you know we've been talking about less of us and more of jesus christ in our lives we've also been talking about just having less fear and just more faith in god as we move forward And everything just kind of goes down to really making it all about Jesus in our lives. And so the one thing that I want to share this morning is simply that God would lead us into the future. That God will lead us into the future. Before we read Joshua chapter 24 verse 14 and 15, we need to kind of understand the context of this passage. And I'm going to try to focus in on chapter 23 and chapter 24 And what we will notice here is that Joshua challenges the Israelite people to a life of faith and trust in God. As you know, this is towards the end of his life. And so I want to highlight just a couple things so that you can understand why these two verses are so important. The first thing I want to highlight for is that Joshua was about to pass away. And as you know, Joshua, he was uh, coming to the point of realizing that he was going to die. And because of that, he wanted the Israelite people to be faithful as they are now in the promised land. The very thing that God promised them, it has come true. And as he's about to pass away, he is trying to encourage them. And that's why in Joshua chapter 23, verse 1, it says, Joshua was old and well advanced in years. I mean, he experienced so much, not only just being under Moses, but the things that he had to go through to lead the people into the promised land. And therefore, it was important to note that this was a time of transition for him. 
as well as for the Israelite people. The second thing I want to highlight for us as we think about the context of this story is that Joshua not only was about to pass away, but you will see that Joshua gathers the people at Shechem. Now, in verse 20, the, chapter 24, verse 1, we see that Joshua gathers all the tribes of Israel and the leaders to this place called Shechem. Now, what is the significance of Shechem? Some of us might not be familiar with the history, uh, especially in the Old Testament, of why this place was very important. So I'm going to highlight that for us so we can understand. At Shechem, several things, important things happened. And that's why he gathered them at that place again towards the end of his life. One of the things that we need to note is that Abraham first received the promise. Those of you who know your Bible, you remember in Genesis chapter 12, God gave the promise to Abraham that he's going to make him into a, a, a great nation. And those people who bless you, I will bless. Those people who will curse, I will curse. And so it was in this place where God gave the vision and Abraham then responded by building an altar to the one true God. And so that's why it's a very important place. Not only did he receive the promise, but he built an altar to the one and true God. Another thing you need to note is that Jacob got rid of all the idols in his household at Shechem. In Genesis chapter 35, verse 1 through 5, you notice that he collects all the idols from his household and then buries them under this oak tree. So it was a a place where people had to be confronted with their idols. Another thing you need to note is that Shechem was very important is because Joshua built an altar to God. In fact, in Joshua chapter 8, verse 30 through 33, after the initial conquest of Canaan, we will see that the people of Israel reaffirmed their commitment to God by building this altar, that we will worship this God forever, as long as we live. With all these things that happened at Shechem, it was important for Joshua as he came towards the end of his life, to bring everyone back to this place where he gave this challenge to serve God. The third thing that you need to note about this context, as we will read these two verses shortly, is that in Joshua chapter 24, verses 1 through 13, so these 13 verses prior to the two verses we're going to be reading, it is literally a summary of, of Israel's history. Now, I don't know how many of you like history or you remunerate all the things that happened in your life, but my goodness, coming back to Chicago, I had to go back into my history. Uh, sometimes when I talk to uh, Dr. Steve or Pastor Dave, especially Pastor Dave, we talk about our sinful life and how we lived our lives before coming to know Jesus Christ. And that's why I'm, I always tell my other people in our, all our other churches, I say, I'm so thankful for my friends because they keep it real. You know, as soon as you think you're all that, all of a sudden you talk to them, you're like, oh, yeah, it was only by God's grace. We were, we were that messed up. Praise God. And so it kind of keeps you rooted. And so just coming back here, like my whole life, I, it's just a chunk of my life, it's just kind of was revived in, in a good way, in a good way. Uh, just to think, just the faithfulness of God in my life and seeing so many of you now married and have children and seeing God's faithfulness in your life it's been such an encouragement and that's why for the Israelite people history was so important in fact if you look at these 13 verses it is a story of God's grace some people say well there's no stories of God's grace in the old testament there's a lot of stories of God's grace amen a lot If you look at these 13 verses, you will notice the first, the calling of Abraham. Abraham was not looking for God, but God found him. I always tell people, when you share your testimony, don't say, well, I found God when I was 13 years old at that revival meeting. I go, don't say that. Because you didn't find God because God was never lost. God found me because we were lost. Amen? And so we see that God is calling Abraham, even when he wasn't even looking for God. That is the grace of God. God reaching out to us. God calling out to us. You will also notice here that God protected and provided for Isaac and Jacob. And then God sending Moses and Aaron to deliver, deliver the people, the Israelite people from Egypt. That was his grace. 
They were in bondage. They were enslaved. But God sent these two to come and say, let my people go. That is a picture of the gospel right there in the Old Testament. You will see the deliverance through the Red Sea. God didn't have to do it, but he delivered them as they crossed the Red Sea. That's God's grace. How many times in our own lives when we felt that there was no other way, but somehow God sovereignly in his love for us and in his grace, he delivers us and saves us, rescues us, provides for us. That's grace. And then God enabling the Israelite people to conquer the land of Canaan. That was God's grace. So here we are. We come to chapter 24, and now in verse 14 and 15, as I will read for us. And I want you to know that all this stuff is happening. He's gathering all the leaders in Shechem, and there's an important reason why that was so. He enumerates literally one by one all the faithfulness and the grace of God upon their lives. And as I was kind of thinking through this, I realized that because all these things happened because of God's grace, I love it when you read verse 13. It really is the summary verse for these Israelite people and what they had to go through. In chapter 24, verse 13, it says, I gave you a land which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive yards and you did not plant. Do you know why that's God's grace? Because they didn't do anything for it. Are you with me? You, you, you didn't even labor. You haven't even built things. You didn't even plant things. But I gave it to you freely. That's why I think the more you, we were singing that song as well, this, this is amazing grace. When you realize that no matter how much you try to earn God's favor, you just can't. And when God blesses you when he doesn't have to, but he does anyway, that's his grace. And it humbles us. It humbles us. And I I just, before I read these two verses, it's going to be a short passage here. But I want us to kind of think about these contextual facts that I just shared. And then think about our future. Or even some of the transitions that we'll be going through in. Let's try to remember God's grace in our lives. You know, I think oftentimes God will bring us to a place where he ministered to us before and then challenge us once again. That's why those of you who have been at this conference, maybe you haven't been at a revival meeting or this kind of gathering for a long time, but sometimes he brings us back to those kind of places to speak to us and pour out his grace upon our lives. And we forget that. He sometimes brings different people your way that you haven't seen for a while because maybe you remember that person in a certain context and he does those things. Why? Because he wants us to remember our story because it's really all for his glory. There are two things I'm going to help us just to kind of focus in on to remember that God will lead us into the future and we can do it with great hope in our God and our Savior. The first thing that we have to do as we read the story now is that we must surrender our idols. That's the first thing. That we have to surrender our idols. Let's go ahead and read verse 14 as I've queued up all these chapters up to this point. And in chapter 24, verse 14, I'm going to just read this verse. It says this, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Let's just pause here as we think about how God is challenging us now to surrender our idols. After Joshua mentions about all that God did for the Israelite people, the question now is, how will the Israelite people respond to God's grace and faithfulness? Well, I want you to focus in on the two phrases that we just read in verse 14. The first, he challenges people to fear God and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. I like some of the other translations that gives us a little bit more of an insight. It says, so honor the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. That's what the New Living Translation says. It says, honor the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. 
What does it mean to honor somebody? And the words and things that we say and the things that we do. And to those of you who are part of HCC and for you to give to another pastor from another church, whether it's a meal or just financially giving, to me, that's, that's honoring God. A person who's not part of ICC or HCC, to hear that kind of story, it moved me. Because that's the kind of actions that honor God. And to serve Him wholeheartedly. Not half or part-time, but you serve Him wholeheartedly. That's why in our circles, I don't like to use full-time pastor. Are you in full-time ministry? I'm like, what the... Oh, sorry. I'm like, what is that? I have to be careful. This is Chicago, okay? I'm a, excuse me, what, what is that? So somehow pastors are full-time in the ministry, while those of you who are not pastors, you're part-time? You're third-time? I don't know what you are. I said, let's not use this full-time stuff. Now, you could use full-time vocational ministry, because that's what you do. But all of us, those are, I mean, I was so encouraged just walking in here, seeing so many of you serving in the church. Turn to someone next to you and say, thank you for serving. Okay, I realize in this, uh, you guys don't do this kind of stuff. It's like, give me my space, even though your wife is next to you, just still give me my space, give me the word, give me the song, and then we're out of here. Come on, now. The church is, we're a community, amen? So just turn to somebody, will you? I know it's really uncomfortable. Trust me, you're going to get rid of me by today, okay? <laughs> You'll never have to do this ever again. But just turn to somebody next to you and say, thank you for serving. There's two dual purposes why I did that. First of all, really genuinely thanking those of you who are serving. And that person who are not serving, when they hear, thank you for serving, they're like, I'm not doing anything. Exactly, start doing something. (laughs) Start doing something, right? Get involved. (laughs) The message translation of that verse, it says what? Fear God, worship Him in total commitment. Total commitment. And then the second phrase you will notice, Joshua exhorts the people to put away the gods that your father served. The New Living Translation says, put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped. The NIV says, throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped. The reason behind this challenge is because all other gods were fake gods. And if they are fake gods, then listen, then those things are idols that cannot compare with the God of the universe, this God, Yahweh. You know, as we move out to Asia, one of the things I'm so scared about is like, there's a lot of fake stuff, knockout stuff, right? Some of the women love it. Gucci, what's up? And, you know, all this kind of stuff. But I'm going to tell you, sometimes it can get a little bit dangerous, some of this fake stuff. And I realize a lot of things get lost in translation. So sometimes they try to take an English word and they try to translate it. And it's translated in such a nasty way. And the thing is that they claim to be real, but sometimes you have to wonder. So I'm going to show you some pictures here. Look at this one. (laughs) Crack flavored. Praise God. Those of you who have a past, don't be tempted now. Come on. You know, they, they love copying, so it's, it's the crack-flavored. No goody uh, ramen, right? Look, look at this one. I, I don't even know what that is. Those of you who might know how to read Chinese, you can help. But it says, only puke. So you have guests over, and you're like, here, have some. Crazy stuff. Look at this next one. Child shredded meat. Something got lost in translation. Can you imagine buying this and like, whose child is this? Born in Bethlehem. You know, you're like, what is this? Child shredded meat. My goodness. Now, I don't know if you want to drink this. (laughs) I really don't know if you want to drink this. (laughs) You're in awe. Wow, praise God. Some of the sisters are still lost. It's all right. Praise God. All right. Next one here. In Asia, they like to drink this kind of like Gatorade type of stuff. 
Bakari sweat. Supposed to be really good for you and all that, but I don't know. Pet sweat? It's kind of weird. Is it another one? Yeah. P-Cola. You got to love this. Wow. Something got lost there. This is a major fake imitation. Okay. You know, in the history of the Israelite people, they were constantly tempted to worship fake gods. Other gods that are not real. That's why in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 32 to 33, it says this. They worship the Lord, but they also, that's the key, but they also appointed all sorts of their own people to officiate for them as priests in the shrines at the high places. They worship the Lord, but they also serve their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. So they're worshiping God. But then they're also worshiping other gods as well. And I'm wondering how many of us are like the Israelite people. That's why Jesus made it very clear when he taught in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You know, we have to remember that we were created to worship. And therefore, if we're not worshiping God, we're worshiping something else. And some of us might think, well, I don't have an idol. I don't have that little Buddha thing. You know, Pastor Dave and I were getting some coffee, and there was a snowman. And it was one of those things that moved, and it was going like this. And we're like, wow. It's like he's doing his thing, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, it's not like these little things, the figurines that we have, and we're like, oh, we worship you, idol. You know, give us success. I mean, we're, we're too good for that. We know that we don't worship those kind of idols. That's why I think Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, gives us a good insight of what an idol is. Listen to what he says. What is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, If I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something. But perhaps the best one is worship. The human heart is an idol factory that takes good things like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. Our hearts defy them as the center of our lives because we think that they can give us significance and security, safety, and fulfillment if we attain them. So no longer is an idol something that we bow down to, this little figurine. It could become our jobs, our career. It can be a family member. It can be our children. There are, there, there are idols Oftentimes, they're very good things, but we make them ultimate things. That's why Scott Halfman, in his book, The God of Promise and the Life of Faith, he writes this, Idolatry is the practice of seeking the source and provision of what we need, either physically or emotionally, in someone or something other than the one true God. It is a tragically pathetic attempt to squeeze life out of lifeless forms that cannot help us meet our real needs. It might satisfy you for a little bit, but it will never fill that hole in your heart. Only Jesus Christ can. That's why Martin Luther made it very clear when he says, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God, your functional Savior. I want to ask us this morning, what or who is our functional Savior? I think a good test of idolatry is to look at our response to success and failure. That's probably one of the best tests to really see if there's an idol in your life. If our identity and security, significance and safety are all placed in something other than Jesus Christ, listen, success will go to our heads. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because we'll get proud and we'll forget it's God who gave us all things to give him praise. Or, listen, When you fail, you will literally feel like your life is completely gone. I'm going to die. No, you're not. 
I can't breathe. Yes, you can. She broke up with me. Listen, I always tell people that you will see what's really in our hearts because it's either success or failure. When you fail, you feel like your life is devastated because you don't have it anymore or you messed up. Or when you're successful and you forget it's God. That's your idol. Sometimes we don't realize Jesus is all we need and Jesus is all we have. We must surrender our idols if we're going to have hope for the future, knowing that God is going to lead us there. The second and last thing as I close is that we must not only surrender our idols, but we must serve our God. We must serve our God. Let me close with this verse in verse 15. It says this, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. No, God, God demands that the people choose where they will put their allegiance. You know, Joshua uses the phrase, it, it, this phrase, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord. And, and that phrase sounds kind of weird. But what he's doing is he's challenging the people to make a decision whether you're going to serve God or whether you're not. And a lot of people, I don't know about you, but there are times when I I meet so many people who are so indecisive. And there are times when I'm asking my wife, so what do you want to do? She goes, I don't know, what do you want to do? I go, oh, maybe we can go to the cafe. She goes, no, I don't want to do that. "Mm." All right, so she probably has something else she wants to do. So so if you don't want to go to the cafe, what do you want to do? She goes, I don't know, what what, what are are some other things? Um, You want to go see a movie? She goes, what movies are there? So here we are, checking our phone. What movie? You know, Rotten Tomato. And it's like, oh, it's not good. She goes, no, I don't want to see a movie. I'm like, yeah. And she's like, yeah, maybe not. No, no. And so, you know what? We just, we, we just stay in the middle and we don't make any decision. Can I just say this to you? By make, not making a decision really is a decision. There's left and there's right. And then there's middle. And you chose the middle. There's up and there's down and there's defy gravity. And there you are. In the middle, defying gravity, falling and falling. That's why if you look at other translations, it says in that phrase, in, in the New American Standard Bible, it says, if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord. Or the New Living Translation, it says, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord. The NIV says, if... But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you. So part of the indecision and not being able to choose is because you're not desiring things and you're not willing and you're not agreeing with the things of the Spirit of God. And that's why Joshua makes it very clear as he says, choose. Is it God or is it the other gods, these fake gods? I don't know if you're like this, but uh, I hate to get interrupted when I'm in my zone. And so if I'm preparing a message and or I'm watching a, a, a TV show or a sports game or whatever it may be. By the way, I'm still a Chicago sports fan. People hate me in Detroit. I have a philosophy on that. If you had a team anywhere from age 7 to about 12 years old, that would be your team for life. It's just a little thought that I had. Anyway, so I'm a Chicago Cubs fan. I'm a Chicago Bears fan, Chicago uh, Bulls fan. And, you know, I I just love everything Chicago. And, you know, there are times when I'm watching a sports game, and then all of a sudden I hear from upstairs, sad. I'm like, Lord Jesus, it better either be you, because I want to watch this game. 
And brothers, you, you know what I'm saying. Sometimes your wife is like Jesus, right? So you're like, okay, Lord. Yes, Lord. So here you go upstairs. And she goes, oh, can you kill that little spider in the corner over there? I'm like, what? Drives me crazy. I go, just get that tissue and just bam. She goes, no, I can't. Other times, Seth. Yes, Lord. <laughs> so I go upstairs. And she goes, does it look kind of dark? I think one of the light bulbs out. I'm like, my goodness. I, I, I just don't like to get interrupted when I'm in my zone. And it's kind of interesting because I realize more and more that the reason why I don't like to get interrupted when I'm in my zone, I could give all the greatest excuses. I am in the midst of a revelation from God. And it's going to bless the people. No. It's because not only am I selfish, I just want to be in control of my life. I don't want to be interrupted. I want everything to be going according to my plan, my timing, and my everything. It just shows just my perfectionistic tendencies. It just shows all these things that I want to be in control. And so here... As I think about this, Joshua knew the hearts of people and he says, choose on this day whom you will serve. You have to make a choice. Joshua made it clear that people of Israel had to make this decision. And listen, there's no neutrality. None whatsoever. No neutrality. The interesting part of the choice is that Joshua is giving them the perspective of choosing something, listen to me, from the past, present, and the future. This is important. By challenging the people to choose this day, who you will serve, whom you will serve, whether the God of Israel or the God of the Amorites or where you are right now, choose. And so what he's doing is he's giving them an option, but listen, it deals with the past, the present, and the future. The region beyond the river was going back to Egypt. That was the past. The gods of the Amorites were evident in place in that moment, so that's where they were. Or is it something in the future, the destiny that I have for you? You know, I was thinking about this. God constantly gives us choices. Constantly. And this is why we need to reflect and discern and also to pray. God, what is it that you're doing? What is it that you want me to do or our family to do? You know, I'm wondering how many times we have made choices that brings us back to that bad situation from two years ago or five years ago. We're always making choices that are connected to our past. And that's what we keep on returning as the proverb says in chapter 26, verse 11, as the fool, as the dog returns to his vomit, it's like the fool who returns to their folly. We're always living in the past. We're always making decisions in light of the past. And what happens is it stalls us from moving forward into our future. How many times have we made choices that leave us in the same place that we were six months ago? It's because we're apathetic. Or maybe just because we just like where we are. I hope if there's anything that you got out of our time together, is that unless you are challenged, stretched, or difficult things come, we're not going to grow. That's why every single time I look at these college students who come to our church every single year in September, my first thought is, your high school faith is not going to help you in college. You're going to get rocked, boy. And I tell these college students, your college faith, and many of you have gone to a school where, you know, it was such, there were a lot of blessings that came, prayer, all this kind of stuff. And somehow you get out of college and you start working, whether in Chicago or somewhere else, and then you start struggling. And then it's easy to blame people and other things. But the, the, the simply is this, you just never had a deep relationship with Jesus Christ. Your whole life was based around meetings and gatherings, going to that prayer gathering, going to that small group, going to that Friday large group, going to whatever other meetings that you had. 
That was the extent of your Christian life. You never got into the closet room to pray to God. You never opened up the Bible and read and to want to hear from God. And so as soon as you get out of college, you think, I'm so strong. I was one of the leaders of this one church. And then all of a sudden, you start going into this real world, as they call it. By the way, real world is everywhere. But you start working. You realize the temptations are greater. You realize the struggles are greater. And then even after that, you come to the realization, my goodness, my college faith is not going to sustain me during single adult life. And those of you who are single adults, you guys are enjoying life. Chicago has some, some of the nicest restaurants all over downtown. It's developing and you're just eating and drinking and being merry. And just go, this is awesome. And all of a sudden, you get married and you realize, holy God. My single adult life faith will not sustain me because I married this person. Please remember this. That person sitting next to you, if they are your spouse, they are God's tool to make you more like Jesus. So you better hug them and thank them. Say, thank you for breaking me. (laughs) That's why your faith when you're married... Is that you need a higher level of faith. You need greater trust. And wait, hold on. You get married and you have these little sinnerlings. And all of a sudden you come to that realization, holy Jesus. My faith as a married couple, when we were single, we could always go out to eat and do all the stuff. Now it's like, you know. The kind of faith that you need during... That moment when you have toddlers and young ones is a whole different level of faith. Are you with me? Can I get a good amen? Mm. Yes, Lord. See, I, I always tell this to our church. See, every single time I say, you college students, blah, 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 all the singles are like, preach your pastor. And I say, you single adults and all the married couples don't have kids. I'm like, you preach your pastor. Now all you married people without children, and then all the oh yeah, I preach it, Pastor. So hard. Can I just tell you a little insight that I got over the years? You know, I realize it's so easy to look at people and at different stages of life and judge them, and it's really easy to kind of look at them and say, "Oh, that's such a hard." Difficult time in your life, but then deep inside you're like, that was, that's nothing. <laughs> you just have a two-month-old kid. You think that's hard? In your mind, of course you don't say it. You're just smiling the whole time. Hey, what's up? What's up? But deep inside you're like, just that one kid? You think that's hard? Are you crazy? And so now I've learned over the years to say, I remember that was hard, but now in this stage, it's hard as well, but it's a different kind of hard. Like, I can handle physical, like, difficulties, like, when I don't get sleep or whatever. I mean, I remember those years. I remember holding my kid and trying to type my sermon with one finger. <laughs> I remember those times. So I can handle physical difficulties, but I'm telling you right now, after meeting with people and ministering to them, and all of a sudden you're physically, emotionally drained, and then mentally drained, and you come home and you have to talk to a teenager. (laughs) You're driving and say, so how's school? Good. So is there anything new? No. So I'll go home and I'll tell Christina, God, it's been really hard talking to, you know, Josiah or Elliot, you know. She goes, ask more open-ended questions. Okay, next day. So how do you feel like school is like for you? Good. And I realized I would rather hold five babies in my hand. And my leg. To talk to teenagers, which strains me. Because I have to think. I don't want to think. I was already thinking in that counseling session for that person. I'm done thinking. 
<laughs> Why am I sharing this? Because every life stage, you're going to have choices. And every life stage, God is going to challenge you. Decide this day who you will serve. Is it this past thing that you keep on going back to? Is it just being comfortable with where you are right now? Or will you choose things in the future that might require some sacrifice? That might require your life? That's why as I think about our God, because our God is a God of promises, he's always looking forward into the future. Are you with me? Amen? Promises is always about the future, what is to come. And because our God is a God of promise, he's always looking into the future. He's concerned about who we will will become in the future. God is concerned about our families and where we will be in, in, in the future. God is very concerned about your children. Especially trying to bring them up in this, in this environment in our world. Because our God is a God of promise. He's always in the future. He's concerned about that. He's concerned about our calling and wants to help us to reach our destiny. You know, I remember just talking to Pastor Dave and Dr. Stephen. They're talking about this Thrive Network. I mean, you, you got to understand, to leave a denomination which is comfortable, very safe, you have this kind of like this umbrella to cover you, and to leave all that with certain uncertainty to say, we're just going to start this thrive. And you're like, what, thrive? Thrive what? And you see ICC, and then HCC, and you're thinking, hmm, At least we have two pillars. So how is this going to work? I don't know about you, but sometimes the future might seem so uncertain. You're like, does this even make sense? But like I said, if you want to be alive, you better join Thrive. (laughs) That's what I'm going to be sharing with people. To me, that's taking steps of faith. Because you don't want to live in the past. You don't want just where you are right now. You're hungering for something more. That you realize you could actually impact the world as you share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you can see churches being planted. And not just for planting church uh, churches for the planting churches' sake. But literally there are people in downtown Chicago. There are people in west of Chicago, north, all over the place. And possibly other places that you don't even know right now that God has in store for you and both of your churches. Can you imagine if you had this desire to live into the future what will happen some of you might even be the group of people that that actually go some of you were the people that will continue to build up the stuff here so that it could be stronger see it's so easy to live in the past and just the present and just make it all but it's it's those who have the courage to move into the future and the way we can move into it is because we trust in this god who's greater than anything else in this world and our God is a God of promise, and He's always about the future. I love what Malcolm Mugridge said in his book, The End of Christendom. Listen to what he writes. It is precisely when every earthly hope has been explored and found wanting, when every possibility of help from earthly sources have been sought and is now forthcoming, when every resource this world offers, moral as well as material, has been drawn on and explored with no effect, When it is the shivering cold, every stick of wood has been thrown on the fire. And in the gathering darkness, every glimmer of light has been finally flickered out. It is then that Christ's hand reaches out, sure and firm. Then Christ's words bring them inexpressible comfort. Then his light shines brightest, abolishing their darkness forever. The only way you're going to desire to move into the future is when you have exhausted all your resources, all your energy on the things of the past or the present, and you realize it will never satisfy. We want to keep on moving to the future. It is only then we will be willing to move forward. And so the people were challenged by Joshua's personal commitment, and they responded, and they said, we too will serve the Lord, me and my household. We will serve the Lord. And then Joshua makes a covenant with the people 
and put a stone as a reminder. I think the beautiful thing about the gospel is that this story is really our story. Is that while our hearts are worshiping other gods and other idols, and we have no desire to serve Him or to worship God, He still chooses us. That's why in John chapter 15, verse 16 says, You do not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. Man, I'm thinking, there's so many great churches in Chicago, but what would it be like if we know that God has chosen ICC and HCC? Not because you are more special or better or greater. Once again, it's His grace. What would it be like if He chose these two churches to actually do something significant and make an impact not only in the Chicago area, but beyond. God's love was displayed when he surrendered all, his son, to come into this earth and die on the cross for our sins. Even in the midst of our rebellion and worshiping other gods, he still calls us and gives us a future. That's why our future is secure, because of what Christ has done. That's why we serve him. So the one thing, once again, is that God will never, or God will lead us into our future with this great hope that we have in him. I'm going to quickly give us two things to kind of apply as we walk out of this place in light of what we talked about, how God's going to lead us into the future as we surrender our idols and our gods And then we serve our God, our one and true and only God. First of all, be focused on things that matter. I think as I'm getting older, I'm still young, but as I'm getting a little bit older, I realize my focus is getting sharper in terms of things that really matter. When I was in my 20s and 30s, I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do But now I, I just can't. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. So now I'm focusing more on things that matter, like family. And not so much our church, whatever, but just really where can I make the most impact? That's why I love hanging around with guys who are in their 50s and 60s. The, one of the reasons that I see something different about them is they have lived life. They have raised their kids. They're all off to college. And sometimes they have disposable income. They have time. They have energy. And so they're thinking like, where can I use my latter years now to really live for things that matter? Don't wait until you're 50 or 60 years old. But right now, while you're in your 20s or even in your 30s, with young little ones running around, to ask yourself simply, what are the things that matter for the kingdom of God? What are those things that are so important and dear to the heart of God that I want to be a part of? Focus in on the things that matter. The second thing, and lastly, is be faithful to the calling that God has given us. The calling is just to follow him. The calling is to be the salt and light of this earth. The calling is to not just build a big church, but to be the church so that more people who are hurting and broken can actually come and experience the love of Jesus Christ. I don't know how many people have come to know Jesus Christ through our ministry in Ann Arbor. And I'm telling you, we're talking about some of the most staunch atheists to some of these people who have fallen away, who have been hurt by the church when they were in the youth group ministry or whatever the case may be. And they come and they come to know Jesus Christ as they encounter the gospel message. And it is powerful. And that's why we do baptism. First, we just did one baptism in Easter. But people were coming to know Christ. Listen, it is one of the greatest things about working on a college campus. You see a lot of international students. We have seen people from Africa, from China, and all these different places coming to our church, have no exposure to the gospel. But when they come, they experience Jesus Christ in a powerful way, and they come to know Jesus Christ, and they get baptized. It is one of the most beautiful things. So we just don't have one baptism. We have to have two, one in the winter and one during Easter time, because so many people were getting baptized. And as they were sharing their testimony, we're sitting there for three hours, and we're like, oh, Hurry up and dunk them, you know, or just pastor, get the water, go baptize, you know, and just baptize them. But it's a good problem because we're seeing people coming to know Jesus Christ, getting baptized. And I realize this is our calling. It's not just to get up in the morning and go to work and make money and provide for your family. But our calling is to go to work and see that as our mission field. And how can we influence people for the with the love of Jesus Christ, for the kingdom. I'm realizing, I always tell people, you know what? They go, what does your wife do? 
And it's so tempting to say, oh, she just stays home. She's a, uh, she's a housemaker. Uh, I learned very quickly, you would not say that. Because one time she was out for two hours. She goes, are you sure you couldn't handle it? You know, this is when the kids were... Don't you worry about it, girl. I got this. And I remember, it, I, I, it seemed like two hours, but when I called her, she goes, what? It's only 25 minutes. I'm like, I need help. I can't do this. That's why instead of a house, you know what I call her? Every time I introduce her, well, she's a student now getting a, a special needs education degree, a master's, but before I would always introduce her as she's a domestic engineer. You know, a lot of times people only hear the engineer go, oh, really? Well, are you, what? As a domestic engineer. Oh, really? What, what is that? You just don't know. <laughs> and that, that's a calling. Now my wife, she's going to school because she allowed me to do whatever I was doing to plant this church and doing all that stuff for about 18, 19 years. Now she is taking up the mantle and I found myself cooking more, doing other stuff. I'm like, Lord Jesus. But that's my calling for now. And there's seasons. And so be faithful to the calling in the seasons that God has put you in, knowing that everything you're doing is to glorify Him. Uh, this video uh, I'm going to show and close out with, and before uh, we have one of the pastors come up, uh, I think many of you probably have seen it before. It went viral. And as I saw that, the first thing, I mean, honestly, uh, just... Got a little bit misty-eyed as I thought about just the love of the Father. And how no matter what we do and no matter what we decide, whatever we choose, the love of the Father will do anything to bring us to that destiny that He has for us. So as we close, I want us to just watch this. And I'm going to come up and pray for us. And then uh, I'm going to hand it over and uh, we'll close out uh, this way. So let's watch it together. We stand together as we close. I'm going to just pray for us here. I know it's a little bit late, but we want to close out this whole conference focusing back on Jesus Christ. You know, I think a lot of times in our rebellion and our own sin, we're so blinded. And we forget about the love of the Father. And I don't know where you are. Some of us might have strayed away for a little bit. Or some of us are just trying to come back. Some of us are just trying to live this Christian life and just barely surviving. Some of us, there's a hunger deep inside because God has put it there in you. Because you realize there was a time when you loved Jesus wholeheartedly, purely. I just want to encourage you don't let the dream die in your heart because God is a God of promise and he's always looking into the future he's not looking at you where you are right now but what you will become and where you will be and what kind of church your churches will be like in the future and that's why he carries us when we're stumbling and falling he carries us Because that's his love for us and his love for his church. The church of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're confident. And that's what we know that God will lead us into the future. As we surrender our idols, all other gods. And we serve him wholeheartedly. For the rest of our lives and every single stage of our lives. So, Father, I just thank you, Lord, just for every single person that's represented here, all the families that are here. We just know that you have an awesome plan and a destiny for every single one of them, and not just for them alone, but for these two churches. Thank you, Lord, for the leadership of these churches. Thank you, Lord, for the great work of grace and mercy that has been demonstrated through testimonies and people's stories. 
And God, we don't want to focus on ourselves anymore. We want to focus on you and the things that matter. God, less of us and more of you. And God, we know that as we look ahead, there's a lot of things that bring fear. Things that bring hesitation to our hearts. But all we can say is, Lord, less fear and more faith. Because we believe in the things that have already been done for us, accomplished on the cross. And we want to thank you for that. That's why we can take every single step in obedience. Every single step with confidence and trust. That you're not going to forsake us. You're not going to leave us. You'll be with us. And we thank you for that. So I just pray for blessings over these two churches, Lord. And Lord, may you use them powerfully to not only shine the light of Jesus in Chicago, but to the rest of the world. Oh God, we know that it has to be your work. So do that work in all of us. Can I ask us just for 30 seconds, just lift up a quick prayer. Just say, God, I give my heart to you. I want to serve you with things that matter. And so that by the end of the day, at the end of my life, I can say, God, I've served you with all that I have for your glory, along with my family, as we trusted in you. Just for 30 seconds, lift up a brief prayer.